Why does having a camera put on you equal acting like a fool? Huffa. Ha, huffa. Huffa. That's why it's not Ruffa. Yeah. And because he sings Let It Go? Yeah. These are the criteria you're using? An American in 20. I want it all, and I want it now. I don't need one flavor in my soda. I need five. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We're going to do things a little bit different on BYU Sports Nation today. Instead of our usual opening segment where Jeremy and I discuss what's trending and all the topics surrounding BYU sports, we are now going to welcome in the expert of experts for BYU athletics and discuss as many storylines as possible. Athletic Director Tom Homo joins us now on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom. The greatest to ever wear, number 46 at BYU. Tom, welcome back to the show. I voted for Shea Muirbrook. <laughs> That's because uh, you're, a, you're a good man. You're, you're a humble man. Uh, today, obviously, was supposed to be media day. It was canceled uh, due to the uncertainty of the upcoming football season and COVID-19 and everything that goes with it. Um, understandably, your job is crazy. It's chaos right now. So walk us through the typical day uh, of the athletic director at BYU. The typical day, actually, it's pretty routine, and that's one of the things that when this all went down in March and we saw the NCAA men's basketball tournament canceled, we got our leadership team together and we said, we just got to gotta chart a course that's going to lead to when we come back. And I think that what we've done every day is try to have a little bit of a routine. Uh, personally, I think, and individually, it's important to keep my focus and my, um, my health there's a lot of things going on mentally and emotionally and physically and people are losing it but I feel really good about the way our teams hold together and it looks like every day what we've tried to do is find out about best practices around the country we're on zoom calls most of the day we're communicating with our internal people and it seems like most days what we're trying to do is take a step forward not just be in a quagmire or stupor, just stranded. We want to move forward. And it seems like most days we've been able to take a small step forward. But on some days, you take three steps back because of the news around you. And in recent weeks, just the uncertainty of all the things surrounding sports and our country, for that matter, there's been a little bit of stall, a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of looking around and a little bit of questioning where we go from here. And let's walk through some of that. So uh, biggest news over the weekend, a report came out regarding uh, the potential playing Alabama in week one. Other teams like Texas A&M and Oklahoma State have been mentioned as well. What's the validity of these reports of these possible Power 5 replacement games? Well, I, I know that the media has a lot of things on their hands. There's no games right now, so they have, they're very active. So there's been a lot of communications, a lot of conversations with people. You've got to look at it this way. It might take me a year, year and a half to put together a schedule normally. And when those two conferences, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, announced that they were going conference only and opened up games, you're talking about trying to get – it's not just me, but most of those athletic directors and coaches that had their games canceled had to all of a sudden start sprinting. So I've had a lot of conversations with a number of people. Some have been reported from their side. And uh, I think that they'll continue 
uh, today and tomorrow and until this goes to the point where we're playing football. Tom, what role does ESPN play in the potential rescheduling of, of these games that are rumored right now? Uh, ESPN is a partner of ours. We have a great relationship, but they're also a partner of many. They're also talking with the other broadcast companies about how this all fits together, you know, particularly in the spring or, or particularly in the fall when you're looking at a shortened schedules perhaps, maybe reduced number of fans in the stands, if any. And they're trying to just make sure to see where we are. And I really appreciate it. I got a great call on Saturday from one of my friends at ESPN that said, how are you doing? You all right? We're, we're with you. Just keep going. I asked a few questions about strategy. He did likewise. And we came out. It was a positive conversation knowing that BYU can move forward with these various possibilities out of our hands right now. I guess I would ask the same question, Tom. How are you doing? Because five games were taken off the schedule, all Power Five, Utah notably among them. How are you doing in this process of trying to replace those games? It's rather wild and woolly. Um, like I said earlier, it might take six months to 18 months, maybe two years, to really put together a game. And now it's been like two weeks, and you're thinking that you have to get those games back on the schedule. But the, I think the hard thing is everybody – is kind of in a standstill because they're waiting to see what's going to happen with the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, with these three Autonomy Five uh, conferences, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12. What are they going to do? Are they going to go to conference only also? And so it's such a, a moving picture. You, every day is a new day, and you just got to stay with it. You got to keep your focus and keep your wits and be able to, at the end, when they say we're playing, have a schedule. Tom Homo, BYU Athletic Director, with us on BYU Sports Nation. I'm about to ask you a question that you have been asked approximately 1,378 <laughs> times over the past few years, and that is about Notre Dame, who has an opening in Week 13 because of uh, their agreement with um, USC going uh, away with the Pac-12 going conference only. Is this the year that BYU sees Notre Dame? Maybe. <laughs> Notre Dame is an entity of its, in its own. They are not part of a conference. They're independent in football, but they do have a, all their other sports are in the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. So they have a scheduling agreement with the ACC in football. And so right now, Notre Dame and the ACC are trying to work out how they might do their scheduling, considering the ACC could go all the way through their schedule or perhaps a conference only or maybe a conference plus kind of entity. So it just really is a, still in a wait and holding pattern to see what they want to do and how their schedule is going to play out. It's difficult for them too as an independent, but they do have a little bit to fall back on with the ACC and some of those games. Are you hoping to replace the five Power 5 games with five more Power 5 games? I think that would be nice, but it might not be realistic. I think that would be our first uh, option would be to look to see if that's possible. But the, the number of dates that are available and openings that match our open dates, and you have to understand that right now we have five openings. There could be more that were to come if uh, some of these conferences make decisions like the earlier ones. Yeah, and the SEC is one we're waiting on, right, because that's the other Power 5 game left. Do you get a sense that the group of five may go that direction as well? I think it's hard to tell because 
they're waiting to. They're waiting for sure to see how that goes because if the other three autonomy conferences um, go conference only, then that will shell a lot of their games, and that might force them to go conference only also. Athletic Director Tom Homo with us on BYU Sports Nation. I think everybody is crossing their fingers hoping that a regular 12-game schedule can happen. But as you have alluded to earlier in this conversation, Tom, um, it's hard not to think that this might shrink to nine or ten games. So what type of possibility is there that a full college football schedule is going to happen this fall? I would say that the full conference schedule probably wouldn't help and happen. It could, but you see right now where you have the Pac-12 and the Big Ten already saying they're not doing that. So their number of games are going to be reduced. I'm not an expert in the CFP, but it would be interesting to know how those conversations are going and whether those other three autonomy conferences, if they go for a full schedule, you're going to have an imbalance, and that would be something to consider. But we just have to wait to see what's going to happen with those conferences up above, the P5s, before the group of five will make a decision on that. You, you've mentioned uh, waiting, yet I'm sure you're proactive in scheduling or hoping to have different possibilities available depending on different situations. Mm-hmm. So how are you handling that in terms of, okay, if everyone goes conference only, what does that mean versus if we can still play some of these non-conference games for other teams, Power Fives or Group of Fives? What kind of possibilities are you playing with? Well, it's definitely staging right now because you're not really sure. So you're having these conversations that you hope lead to a contract. But everybody has some hesitation because they don't know for sure exactly how it's going to go for them. But it is good to be able to narrow it down if there's that many possibilities. If you can narrow it down and get some good feelings from other schools that that, this could possibly work between BYU and that school. Is there anywhere in in the realm of possibilities the idea of, like Notre Dame has with the ACC, BYU being in a scheduled partnership with some type of conference? Anything's uh, anything's possible on the table. (laughs) This is a pandemic. I mean, I've, I've never had to deal with this before, nor has anybody in their active positions. So it's hard to say that, but when the time comes, at this point in time, I'm not really surprised by many things that come my way. Uh, recently, either a week ago or today, a uh, formal six-week practice was supposed to start getting ready to uh, prepare for week one. Yet, if you don't have a week one game, that's delayed, right? So what kind of urgency do you have to get a week one game so that formal practice can begin? Well, we're looking at waivers so that that doesn't have to happen because it just keeps our teams up in the air and when you can bring student-athletes in. We're very fortunate here at BYU that – The state of Utah has been open for quite a while. We've had our football players and other student-athletes in our facilities working out with the strength and conditioning coaches and the trainers under a very uh, closely watched policy and procedure for health and well-being. So we're we're ahead of the game in that regard, but we still would like to have all the possible practice dates that we could with our coaches. On the other hand, there's a number of schools in the P5s even that they, don't, they haven't really had that full time, and they're going to need it. This is one of the big issues that's going to determine how this goes, is whether or not the medical experts determine 
that our athletes, whether it's football or volleyball, cross country or soccer, are going to be able to have a very good season of health and that we're not going to come in and be breaking down because they're not ready to play. I feel our kids are, will be ready to play if we can stay on the schedule. All right, Tom, uh, we're going to address much more of that, the health and safety concerns uh, of the players as you push forward in the fall and maybe into the spring. So if you don't mind, stick around with us, and uh, we'll get to some of those questions. Uh, we certainly appreciate you joining us, and uh, hopefully uh, we haven't scared you away yet. I can stick around for another segment. <laughs> Sounds good. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We welcome back in BYU Athletic Director Tom Holmo, who has already addressed a number of pressing questions from Alabama, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, scheduling Power Fives to the health and safety of the BYU athletes and how to maintain that. And so we're going to start there, Tom. Uh, when you look at your athletes and transitioning them back in amidst a pandemic and COVID-19, why do you feel like BYU is in a good position, not just with football, but with all of your teams to handle this if and when you get the green light to play? I think it's one of the great debatable topics is in this all is whether or not these athletes or students that are coming back to school are going to be healthy with this pandemic. And one of the things that we decided early on, with the permission of our administration here and the Board of Trustees um, with the school, was that we felt that we could do a better job of keeping them healthy, their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health, if they were with us. They weren't working out and they, when they weren't here, or they were working out in facilities perhaps that might not be as clean or as sterilized. So we put together a plan where we felt that we could bring them back and that they would be healthy. And it's been a really good experience for our athletes and for our administration. Our, we've had great support from our uh, central administration. President Worthen has put together a, quote, COVID team. We have one down here in athletics. They're communicating on a daily basis. It really is a day-to-day -day process where we make adjustments, we move forward strong, and I feel like our athletes have really enjoyed being back. They're friends, they're teammates, they love each other, they want to play, they're, they're in their sport, it means so much to them, and they're able to do it in a safe environment. And so to push them out to back to wherever they were coming from, some of them aren't in great situations where they can be healthy and they can work out, they live in cities or states, that are not open, we have a really good environment, and that's why I feel so strongly that our kids are doing well. Yeah, there's some schools that don't have anybody in right now, yet BYU is taking precautions, like you said, getting work in so that if and when we do have a season, they're ready to go. So a question along those lines. Obviously, a lot of governance and protocols are going to be conference-based. As an independent, when you play a team this fall, how do you think that's going to work? Are you going to have to just submit to the conference regulated protocols when you play a team? And if you play an independent, you'll just negotiate it with that independent? That's what we're imagining. We know that the uh, Power Five conferences, and that's one of the reasons that the 
the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decided to do what they wanted to do is uh, play conference only is for the standards and the protocols of testing. So we are sure and certain that when we play those P5 schools that we'll have to play and live up to that, which we'd want to do. We'd want to play to the highest standards that we could. Now, if we're playing other conferences that may not be uh, living up or playing up to those standards of the testing, it may be a different story. We would imagine that as we get closer and these games are locked in across the board, that we'd work out that protocol. Regarding testing, the NCAA submitted a document um, saying they wanted what? Testing, was it every other day or every day? Uh, It seems like some schools won't be able to afford that. Um, how, how realistic is that? What are your thoughts on how often testing is, is realistic? It's pretty stringent, the report that the, the guidelines, I don't even know if they're guidelines, I'd say standards that the NCAA put out for all of their teams. It is, uh, a lot of people don't realize that NCAA football in, is CFP football. It's complicated, but NCAA sent out these standards for all their championships, and they don't run the football championships, at least at the, uh, C, uh, the FBS level. They do for the uh, FCS level. So those levels are high, which they should be. And it may, and w- what you're seeing is some smaller conferences are saying, we can't live up to those. We're going to have to delay until the spring. And that's where right now, in the next days and weeks to come, you're going to see more conferences make decisions on that. And we'll have to react to how those conferences' decisions go. We're talking with BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Tom, you look at the campus standpoint now and President Kevin Worthen and the BYU officials coming out and saying, we're going to go with an in-class and partially uh, online scheduling system. So uh, what your athletes are going through in terms of training for, uh, for sports, how are they going to balance that with what they're going to be required to do in class, and, and what type of guidance and support have you received from the entire campus community led by President Worthen? Well, it is uncharted waters. We haven't done this before. We looked to, to do that possibly in the spring, but that all fell apart when, when the, all the championships and all the seasons were canceled. But this is one thing that's been helpful is the athletic department and our athletes coming back has given our school administrators a good little pilot or peek at how it could be. Now, we're talking about way different numbers when you're talking 30,000-plus students and many, many more staff, faculty, and um, et cetera. Coming back, we're going to have to work through that. We'll still have to keep our uh, policies and procedures as as, as, uh, as far as safety is concerned, but those are things that we're working out right now with our campus, how and where we will kind of cordon off our workout facilities and keep them separate from the rest of the campus community, which every parent, I think, that sends someone to BYU, one of their students or one of their uh, children as a student, will have to consider how's it going to be. Two FCS leagues have already said they're going to go to the spring in Ivy League and Patriot. Um, What are the possibilities, you think, of... uh, spring sports, uh, everything moved from the fall. It's what I'm hearing and what I'm reading is it's the last resort. And I think you're seeing with the SEC and the ACC 
and the Big 12, they want to play football. They're going to do everything they can to play a football season this year. And if they get to the point in the next couple of weeks, because it's only going to be a couple of weeks, and then that window is going to close. But if that window closes, then they're going to have to step to the next process, which will be, can we move this to the spring, and how will we do that? They're not working on that. We have taken a few opportunities to look and see how that would be, but it is very, very complicated. You can imagine playing all of our sports at the same time at, you know, during the same season. It would be difficult, but we would look to do it if that was the way we were told to go. Yeah, complicated is clearly the word of the times, Tom, and there is the huge question floating out there of, what type of participation can fans have in these games? Uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium seats roughly 63,000 people. You have a number of other venues that hold big crowds. What's the likelihood of fans attending any of these games if and when they do happen in the fall? Right now, because of the state of Utah and their uh, stance or status for the state, it's in a position where it's open right now. It's not green. It's in a yellow position. They have green, yellow, orange, red. And we've been through all the sequences except for red, thank goodness. But right now, we're planning contingencies for all of those. But right now, if we were to open and play tomorrow, we would probably be in a situation where it would be a reduced number of fans. And we've worked through all the various scenarios of who, what groups, contingencies or uh, constituencies excuse me and the percentages of each and where they would sit in the stadium to be safe with social distancing in mind with everything and their health in mind for the people in the stands as well as the people that are there serving them um, as staff the west coast conference moved uh, fall sports back to september 24th what was your reaction to that and uh are Will BYU be aggressive in non-conference scheduling in soccer and volleyball where it may be tough to get an early-in-the-week uh, game? It, it's a tough, it was a tough decision for the WCC to make, but people have to understand when you look at our West Coast Conference, we have seven teams from our conference that are in California, and a number of those schools have not returned their student-athletes to the facilities just to work out, not with their coaches, but just to be back working out. So there came a point in time where it became unrealistic that those seven schools would be able to compete in a non-conference situation. And we did it as a group, as a conference, and set that starting date as, a, as the 24th of July, or September, September excuse me, of mm-hmm. September, so that we would be starting at the same time. I feel that it will benefit us a little bit because I think our kids will be strong enough to play maybe multiple games in a week where maybe the other teams from the WCC, they might not be able to match playing non-conference games during the week. Tom, we're going to think positively here and say uh, when a green light is given, how will BYU be ready to go on day one based on what you have seen from the athletes preparing? And what's the buffer time you think they need to get ready for the season? That's a good question. I'm, I'm super impressed by our student-athletes. From the minute that the, can- the seasons were canceled last spring to see how, um, how they adapted so quickly 
Their attitudes were good. They started looking forward. We had a great academic year last year in that semester where they're taking online courses. And now you look at these fall student athletes and they're saying, ooh, we just witnessed what happened with our classmates in the spring, how they lost their season. So they're in anticipation that it could happen and that that would be a possibility that they might not be able to play. But they're ready to go. And that's what we that's what our motto was, when this thing starts open, we're going to be ready to go. And all of our coaches have done a marvelous job of keeping our kids emotionally, physically, spiritually, and uh, mentally sharp so that when we do have an opportunity, we can go. And I would say, if we start in any of these sports, our kids will be competitive and ready to go. That would be a great way to end this interview, but I have a follow-up I've got to go back to. (laughs) So regarding scheduling, um, we talked about all the different possibilities. We're waiting to see whether other Power Fives go conference only, whether Group of Fives go conference only. If that ends up being the case, is there a possibility of an independent-only type schedule? Yes, that could occur because being an independent, if every one of the conferences went conference only – and didn't leave to like a plus one or plus two, then there wouldn't be any other games available. And we would work out some type of an arrangement with the other independent teams or any other schools that for some reason might have a game available. And that's just a, that's one of the things that if a conference were to go 10 games only, you look at a team a conference like the um, Big 12, they have 10 games, uh, 10 teams, so they could only play nine conference games unless they played another one team twice. So there's still some uh, information, some strategies, some decisions from them that have to be made before we can take those steps. Tom, at some point in the future, when your life calms down, I want you to write a book on scheduling and how your life has been uh, affected by it as the BYU athletic director. Can I write the foreword, Tom? <laughs> Why I, I, I'm going to let you guys write that book because I'm hoping for posterity's sake that nobody has to go through a pandemic. These student-athletes and the coaches and the fans, it's rough. It's been rough on them. I just can't tell you – how many people have called me, texted me, come up to me in the community and say, we want to play, we want to see these kids, we want to root for the Cougars, we need this. Now, it's possible that it might go on ice again, but I know how important it is, and that's why we're doing everything in our power to make it happen. we got a daily show. We want games too, Tom. Let's go, baby. <laughs> You're doing great. You never know that. You never know there are no games. Hey, Tom, let's give you a heavy dose of the BYU Sports Nation karma Thank for uh, the challenges that, that await you, and we appreciate you spending some extra time with us today and answering a lot of tough questions. Thanks a million, guys. Good luck. Thanks, BYU Tom. Athletic Director Tom Homo with us on BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. As Jason just mentioned, there are multiple reports of Utah grad transfer running back Devontae Henry Cole transferring to Utah State. Uh, As mentioned, I've also confirmed that this is uh, going to happen. Jason, what does this mean for the running backs this season? Well, I mean, it means the BYU lost a potential starting running back. I mean, that's... Right right up front, that's what it means. By all accounts, DHC was going to have every opportunity to become the lead guy. And I said last week when Blaine Fowler and I were doing the show for, for you and Spencer, 
if BYU is going to have an every down back, I thought it was going to come down to DHC and Lopini Katoa. So, I mean, and, and I really thought one of those two guys, if they were going to go that route, now sometimes you can still use multiple guys, but if you're going to have an every down guy, I thought it was going to be one of those two. When he signed, we were all excited about his skill set. Not only is he fast and shifty, but he's a physical runner. He's kind of got a little bit of everything. Not to mention, he could be a big-time weapon catching passes out of the backfield. I think that's that would be a part of his game I think BYU would like to utilize. Let's also not bury the lead. It was awesome that a player at the University of Utah chose to leave the University of Utah and come to BYU. That doesn't happen very often, and it, it was just it was kind of a fun story to add. Yeah. Losing DHC is definitely a hit for the running back position. Now, they have lots of guys there. I mentioned Lopini, and, and you have I, – I know Jackson McChesney is a guy that a lot of people are really excited about. Blaine was talking about him on Thursday, how excited he is to see what Jackson McChesney could do. You know, now having even more time being back from his mission to get – you know. The strength back. We already saw the speed so, and get even more of right. the speed. UMass was incredible yes. that performance. Uh, let's see it against you know some Power Five teams potentially. It, right? Let's go. Yeah, it's an interesting question because we never saw DHC in a BYU uniform. But yeah, we did. He took pictures. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. On the field right. in a game. So everything we were doing, we were we were projecting what we thought. So we really don't know, but. In what we were projecting, it's definitely a loss. I thought he would be the starter as well. I thought he had a ton of talent. I, th- those highlights against USC, the wiggle, the vision, yeah. the ability to just hit the hole fast, quick. He's a, he's a power five back. BYU has some power five backs, if you will, on this squad. It just was nice to have a senior, hungry, wants to leave his mark in a contract year, if you will. We talk about NBA players like that. Oh, they're going to play better because they're playing for a con- It's like... Oh, they have extra motivation. Sweet. We all need motivation. I'm with you. So, Lopini Katoa, probably your incumbent starter at this point. Sione Finau coming off an ACL tear. Uh, hopefully he's ready for the season. Who looked really good in his playing time last season. Right. Boise State uh, led the way there. Sione Finau still needs to get up to speed in terms of recovery post-surgery. Harvey Unga came on and said, hopefully he's ready for the start of the season. Perhaps if it's delayed, that's a good news. Jackson McChesney, uh, you mentioned the uh, the upside. He did redshirt last year. I love that four-game redshirt rule, by the way. So oh, good. Gosh, it's, it's, it's a game changer. It really awesome. is. And then Tyler Algier was the main guy against Hawaii, moving uh, back from linebacker, back to running back where he was originally. Then you bring in a few new guys. Bruce Garrett made a splash um, in Texas. State championship game ran for 200-plus. Um, he was awesome. And then other guys mentioned Johnny Tapusoa as a fullback. Jackson Kafusi moving from linebacker to uh, probably fullback. And Theo Dawson and Chase uh, Webster, Alec Weibel, Meza among them. So there are running backs uh, in the mix uh, for BYU. You just wanted a little bit more depth. DHC had a fun nickname as well. So it's a little disappointing. And it's disappointing that he's going to Utah State. That's right. a team BYU is going to play. Now, Jason Shelley reportedly going to transfer to Utah State. I can't remember if that came out official or not, but that appears to be happening. Uh, DHC got baptized recently, and so it felt like a good story that, oh, he's, he's making a decision to come to BYU. Well, and he Trust talked me, about how it immediately felt like he was, you know, immediately felt comfortable when he got on campus. So yeah. you thought, okay, this, this is a really good fit on and off the field. So I, I want to know what changed, right? right? And then, uh, you know, rumors that his girlfriend plays soccer at Utah State potentially. So that would make sense. And if he's friends with Shelly, that too. But what changed? Was it that the schedule got off kilter right. with the Big Ten Pac-12 announcement? Because I wouldn't think that well, the that's schedule be at Utah State of. would be better 
than BYU's schedule. So it has to be perhaps something more than that. But, uh, you know, as soon as he gets out of his, uh, you know, housing contract, apparently in uh, Provo, perhaps he can move on. But th- this, is a, this is a bummer. I, I was excited for DHC, and the fact that he's going to go to Utah State is uh, certainly disappointing. Yeah, I totally agree. Topic number two. Yesterday, Athletic Director Tom Holmo joined BYU Sports Nation for an extended conversation that really touched on a variety of topics, from scheduling to the possibility of playing football in the spring. Now, while Tom did not specifically address playing Alabama, there was a report over the weekend from AL.com, I like to call it AL.com, uh, that BYU and the Crimson Tide are discussing playing each other in week one. So, Jerem, do you actually want to see Alabama on the BYU football schedule this season? Now, the expectation is that I would probably say no, right? Oh, the schedule's too high. I look at the whole schedule. Right now, BYU has one Power 5 on the schedule. I want three, maybe four, generally in a season. I don't want more than four. BYU wins 40% of those historically. So I say yes, because there's only one on the schedule right now. And I think it'd be fun to go to Alabama. That'd be a game that you know Alabama's going to be on national television. That's an ESPN game for sure if it happens. That's so weird to look at the current schedule and just see seven games. <laughs> it's like there's something missing. Actually, there's a lot of something's missing. Uh, there's five missing. And <laughs> Ver- Missouri is an SEC game. Maybe you play two. Uh, Spencer brought this up the other day. The BYU's only played two SEC teams in a season one time, and it was 2017 with LSU and Mississippi State. Yes, I would like to see Alabama. I, I think that's a cool opportunity. Let's see what BYU can do. Uh, still reports there um, you know, from AL.com that, that there's a strong possibility right. that that could be the opener. I think that'd be great. Hopefully it happens, and hopefully the SEC says we will play non-con. It appears that they are going to attempt to do so. I don't believe that the SEC won't play football this fall. I think that that is too big of a not only moneymaker but an emotional and uh, you know socioeconomical part of what uh, the southern part of the United States uh, makeup is. So that would be awesome. And I remember the '98 opener and how fun it was. Granted, Alabama wasn't a top five program at the time, but to play Sean Alexander and to play Alabama in, in uh, that historic stadium, that, that would be a really cool opportunity to open the season. Well, and the SEC, because of the power that it holds and the financial implications that you were talking about, they're not going to make any hasty decision. They're going to wait as long as they feel they can before they make a decision on whatever they're going to do. And, oh, by the way, yeah. they're the most powerful. Absolutely, and that's why you have all of these. It's not just BYU, and I thought that's one of the things Tom brought up yesterday. You know, It's not like it was just Tom trying to make, conversa- or make phone calls to get games scheduled. Everybody else that lost P5 opponents was doing the same thing. So, they, you know, there's a lot of people that are up in the air. A lot of universities are up in the air waiting to see what the SEC does. And right now, they don't have to make a decision. But we will see. But the question is, do you want Alabama on the schedule? Well, yeah, why not? Look, and I, I can't think of a team that you could play that would have more eyes on it than Alabama. Whether, no one. Whether, Clemson, you, maybe? whether you love them or you hate them, people watch Alabama football. They pay attention to what Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide are doing. If you have a chance to play a team like that to begin the college football season, you absolutely jump at the chance. The mere thought of taking the rivalry game and then everybody upset that you lose it, and then you replace the rivalry game with a potential game against Alabama, that is absolutely unbelievable if that's something that plays out. Selfishly, I, I'm not going to lie. You buried the lead here. Getting an opportunity to interview Nick Saban <laughs> for radio pregame would be a, 
<laughs> would be a uh, a feather in the cap, if you will. Uh, so I'm I certainly... want to see that. I want to see you wear a cap where you could use a feather. I wanna, I, that I that selfishly, I would love to see it because of that. But I, I go back to my guy uh, Kyrus Tonga's tweet last week where he said, anyone, anytime, anywhere, playing a team of that caliber doesn't come along every day. Play Bama, see how it plays out. Did he really mean Alabama? Because guess what? Hey, they're anybody, Whoever anytime, and anywhere. Smoke, right? Yeah. yeah. Whoever wants to smoke. It's like, listen, Alabama <laughs> wants to smoke, okay? <laughs> I saw a sign that uh, people posted on Twitter of a BYU fan, uh, a student in the Rocks, saying, we want Bama. Yeah. At the time, BYU was, I think, 2-0, playing right. Virginia, undefeated with, you know, junior Taysom Hill. Life was good, you know? Yeah. Do we want Bama competitively? Yeah, let's go. Is BYU going to win that game? Probably not, but let's play. Going into the 09 Oklahoma game, you thought, well, maybe not. The, is this uh, the 20th ranked uh, BYU team going against Alabama? No, but it'd be a fun test to start the season. And uh, and it's a marquee and, matchup that yes. you know would get attention. I think I'd like this regularly, but I like it even more in a season where we don't even know if we're going to play. You know what I mean? We're gonna, the, yes. Like, like, why not? It, it, yeah, Porque No is sort of the vibe I get uh, going into the season. Not knowing how many games you're going to play, not knowing how many opportunities to make a splash you're yeah. going to get. If you can, if you can schedule a team like Alabama, then you 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 do that absolutely. If I that's wish on the table, played this Alabama though. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like, like, can you control Sean Alexander a little bit? Future Seahawk going to the Super Bowl. Kevin Federick, right? That dreamy hair. Look at Kevin Federick run for a touchdown. That's how easy it was to score against Alabama back in 98. If yeah, only things have there changed had been one just a bit. I think so. Yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Top five Tuesdays presented by Delta Airlines keep climbing. Last week, after the Big Ten announcement, it was all about best wins against the Big Ten. So let's do best wins against the Pac-12. I wish there were Utah wins on here. There will be soon, hopefully. So let's get to it. Top five Tuesdays, Jason. All right. Starting off at number five, last year's overtime victory over 24th-ranked USC at home. Ah, we remember it well. Facing the unproven freshman, Keaton Slovis, Cougars had three total INTs, including the game-winning interception by Diane Gonwoliku in overtime. Zach Wilson also had 280 yards through the air for a score and a touchdown on the ground. Overtime win. You have the fans rushing the field. It was unbelievable. That gets you in to the top five. Keaton Slovis set a Pac-12 record with 71.9% completion percentage. Unbelievable. He, he's one of the top quarterbacks coming back. In the country. And USC was coming off an unbelievable start to their season offensively. Yes, they pounded Stanford yes. the week before. And BYU came in and did work. Number four, 2006 Las Vegas Bowl. John Beck and the Cougars won by the largest margin of victory in a bowl game in program history up to that point. 38-8 to against number... Uh, they were uh, ranked in one poll, 21st, despite being 6-6. Six six. Oregon... They had Rose Bowl hopes early in the season. BYU just laid it at the smackdown. This was a completion of an incredible return for BYU's program. John Beck running in for a touchdown. <laughs> Curtis Brown. Johnny Harleen. This is the game. Oh, the one-headed catch. After the Utah game. Manasseh Tonga, what a performance by the Cougs. I was a pair ab on the sideline with one of those little satellite dishes for ESPN. So I could hear everything in the huddle. Uh, not uh, not family-friendly, I'll just tell you that. One of the many Las Vegas Bowl memories for the BYU Cougars. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. 
Our number three comes against UCLA in 2008. You remember this game? <laughs> 59 points. Max Hall threw for 271 yards, and let me just make sure I emphasize this, seven touchdowns. Austin Colley had 110 yards and two touchdowns. Dennis Pitta with two TDs. Harvey Unga had two TDs. Everyone had two Michael TDs. Reed caught a touchdown. Total domination. UCLA totaled nine rushing yards, by the way, in that game. Yes, UCLA had only two more rushing yards than Max Hall had passing touchdowns. Final score, 59 to zip. I believe Norm Chow, former longtime BYU assistant coach and offense coordinator, was on the was the OC for UCLA. I believe you are game. correct. So that was a bummer for Norm. Number two, how do you top 59 points? How about scoring 36 points in a quarter? That's what Ty Detmer and the 1990 team did against Washington State the week after the Miami one. People forget about this game. Cougars were down 29 to 7 at halftime, but the Blue Cougars outscored Wazoo 43 to 7 in the second half. Thanks to 448 yards and five TDs from Detmer in the game, he ends up winning the Heisman later in the year. And BYU scored 36 points in the fourth quarter alone, which brings us to the stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Those 36 points in the fourth quarter were a BYU quarter record until the 2019 season against UMass. BYU scored 42. It could have been 45. BYU missed a field goal at the end of the half. So BYU went into the half really bummed. They had only scored 42. But that was the new school record. And what a performance the week after Miami. 43-7 in the second half. I like scoring 42. I think we should score 42 every game. Total? Not just in a quarter? I'll take 42 in a game. Every quarter. Okay, I'll take that too. Fine. Against UMass. <laughs> sure. That brings us to the best game against the Pac-12. It comes all the way back in 1983. A player you may have heard of, his name is Steve Young, leading the Cougars past UCLA in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Steve uh, Bono of UCLA would go on to have a long career in the NFL. The other quarterback on that roster? Rick Newhouse. There we go. Threw for 399 yards and three scores, but it was BYU Steve Young that got the last laugh. Young passed for 270 yards and two scores. BYU won 37-35 after a late score by the Bruins. Now, UCLA went on to win the Rose Bowl later that year and finished uh, 17th in the AP poll. Young and the Cougars finished 11-1 and 7th in the final AP poll. That's a great win because BYU beat the Rose Bowl champs. Yes. I mean, that like how many times can BYU say that? Perhaps only this season? I mean, that was amazing. So 83. On the 83 Reviewable Show, which is on demand on the BYU TV app, Spencer makes the argument that the 83 team is actually the best ever. You should watch that one. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It is now time for this week's Deep Blue feature, and we're not here to debate whether he's elite or not, even though he is elite. But Mitch Matthews... What did you just say? (laughs) ...is our Deep Blue presentation. You decide. I'm Mitch Matthews, and I played at BYU from 2012 to 2015 and a few years in the NFL as well. And now I'm an entrepreneur and I've started my own business. I just remember him being a phenomenal receiver. Um, he was so tall, he was so long, and so a lot of those guys are one-dimensional. But Mitch Matthews, I thought, was as, as much of an all-around as receiver as you can find. Nobody is better at what Mitch does than Mitch. 
And I don't think if he knew someone broke the records that he's broken, he'd just go break it again. We all talk about the, those players that you love having on your team that you hate to play against. I think he was one of those uh, just because of his competitive nature. And he took that competitiveness not just on the field but off the field and the things he does. And, and if you look at him now, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's running a business and he's really just self-motivated because of his competitive nature to be the best that he can be. He also was the younger brother. Um, and his, so his older brother Marcus pushed him a lot. He, he kind of had to keep up with him. And Mitch would always say that he didn't want to be known as Marcus's little brother. Because Marcus was a good athlete too. He knew that if he was going to make a name for himself, he was going to have to work extra hard to make himself stand out, to set himself apart. Very few people get the chance to play college football or NFL football, but even less, I'd say, get the chance to, to play college football with their own brother, who I've looked up to my whole entire life. We didn't do anything not together when we played together, and that was, you know, some of the closest times I ever had with my, my brother. And those are times I look back on and we still talk about to this day. Joking around in the locker room and, and creating memories there, and, and that was a time in my life that I'll never forget, playing with your own brother uh, in college football. It's, it's really fun. So the Hail Mary was definitely the hallmark of my career. I, I prided myself in, in being a playmaker, which means when, when people think you have no chance to catch the ball, then, then I'm going to make a play. And that was kind of my, my mantra at BYU, was just make a play. We go back out onto the field for our, our final drive. We get to the 42-yard line, not quite close enough for a field goal. There's only one second to go in the game. And so we call timeout, and we, we dial up our, our Hail Mary play. I roll out. And I just put it up in the air. When that ball was flying in the air, I felt like it was my chance to really show people who I was and to make a big play on a big stage like that. Goes for the end zone. The ball's in the air. It drops at the goal line. I think he caught it for a touchdown. He got it. He got it. He got it. Touchdown, Mick Matthews. The Cougars win it. The Cougars win it. And I'll never forget it. I, I, I hear about it nearly every single day. And this is this is four years past. And I'm grateful for moments like that, that, that uh, kind of were an icing on the cake for my career here at BYU. And, and even when I played in the NFL, it was, you're the Hail Mary guy, right? That's what people said to me. You know, my life is dedicated to, to what I call redefining hard. I feel like there was a span of one month where, where my, my world got flipped upside down. And within one month, my mom passed away. And it was a few days, the same weekend, actually, as my wedding. And... A couple weeks after that, I was cut for the third time from my dream job playing in the NFL, and I was starting my own business. One of the experiences that Mitch went through that shaped him the most was the loss of his mom. And if you know Lisa, you know just how amazing she is and how great of a woman she is. After my mom passed away, um, it was two in the morning, and... Um, all of us are exhausted as a family, and we went to bed, and I had a workout the next morning at 6 a.m., and so I got three and a half hours, four hours of sleep that, that next day, and then I got up and, and worked out. Because at the time, I was on the Vikings, so I had, I had a job, right? And so, um, like I said before, there was nothing that was going to get in my way of chasing my dreams, and my mom taught me that. And so the day, you know, hours after... She passed away, it was still go time. So I don't think there's really a ceiling for Mitch with what he wants to do. He's not afraid to go for it. He's not afraid to fail. He just puts his whole mind into something and just goes for it. And I think that's what he does with almost anything. 
If he wants to be better at it, he just bears down and does it. You know, he doesn't let anything stop him. Life is so fragile. Things can be switched in an instant. Things can be perfect and five hours later be horrible. You can be living your dream job and five minutes later, you're not living your dream job. And so if you have a chance to do something, you have a potential to do something, how dare you not go all out in that? And that's how I live my life now is not many businesses make it, but I'm going to make this happen because I've been cut down so many times. I've lost things like that. And in my power, I'm going to do everything I can to make my dreams happen because I've seen them switch. Sometimes you only have one shot. Sometimes you have multiple, but you never know when, when things are going to end. And so put every single thing you have into what you're doing in your, in your choice of, of your dreams and you'll reap a lot of benefits from that. Mitch Matthews, a wild success story as an entrepreneur right now. Well, his life. I mean, look what he's overcome. All the different facets, right? And that one month that defines his life, right? His mom passes away from cancer. Just tragedy, right? He's still on the Vikings trying to make it, and he gets married. I mean, that's wild. We've talked about Mitch quite a bit, elite. He's an elite person. We can agree on that. He's an elite person, and it was fun to work with him closely on uh, the pre- and post-game shows for football last year and kind of get to know him a little bit better. He's been so cool about everything, by the way, with our conversation. Because we're 503 guys. I love Mitch. I just, I just differ on very good to the elite. That's, listen, I wish, BYU, I wish BYU had Mitch Matthews types on the team now, right? A tall guy that can make a play in the end zone a little more. Hopefully, BYU will have the chance to prove themselves uh, in that regard more yeah. this year. I mean, semantics. It, it comes down to semantics sure. and details. Of, you know, really, we mostly are just joking with each other. But, like... I wasn't, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but he is an elite human He's being. Great. He He's re- great. He really is. And uh, the funny thing is, you look at BYU's all-time leading receiver, Cody Hoppin. Mitch lasted longer in the NFL than Cody Hoppin, which makes me scratch my head. Like, how... Why Why did that happen? Yeah, well, both didn't get into a regular season game, right? There were preseason stuff, I think. Yeah, well, Mitch signed, I guess Mitch signed yeah, so, multiple teams. Like, Cody was cut, and that was it. Yeah. Like, Mitch bounced around to three different I teams. feel like you're making the elite argument I'm still. Just, I'm just saying, like, they, they saw that they saw the, the potential there that I, nice. that I saw. Nice. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. The Mountain West Conference put out their preseason poll in hopes that a season will actually happen. And shocker, Boise State is the favorite to win it again. The Mountain Division favorites, and wouldn't you know, San Diego State, also on BYU's schedule, is favored to win the West. So BYU with two quality Mountain West Conference games, but when you look at the remaining seven games after all of those cancellations, Did you Jeremy, just dog on Utah State right there? Is that what you did? Well, I didn't include them because they're picked to finish just fourth say it. in yes. their division. Uh, Jerem, would you be okay in the seven games remaining on the BYU football schedule with Boise State being the toughest game remaining, even if BYU adds some more? Are you okay if Boise State's the toughest game? Yes, because when I did 10-10 and 10 for teams, what did I say Boise State was? The second best Number team two. on the schedule. I thought they were really good. So, yeah, I'd be fine with that. And uh, if that game actually happens, I'll be happy. If BYU plays the seven games on the schedule, 
I'd be happy because it's something over nothing. We're, we're trending in the wrong direction for this. Again, this is so weird. This happened yesterday. To look at the schedule and only see seven games on there on July 22nd is the weirdest thing ever. It's crazy. I would be totally fine with that. Um, I, I think San Diego State and Missouri are probably uh, your next best teams on that. And then uh, we'll see where Houston kind of lines up and then Utah State. North Alabama, like, is that game still happening? I think. Are they going to come all the are way gonna... from Alabama for an FCS game? Yeah. I, I'm super interested, by the way, to see what the SEC does in all this. Because, yes, the Pac-12 and Big Ten have been moves. But if the SEC went conference only... That's, that's the end game. Because the SEC's first religion is football. Its second is Christianity, right? In the South. In the South. It's, I'm joking, but it's a big deal. It Boise, feels that way sometimes. Boise State is a uh, quality program. That'd be good. The only way that Boise State could really get bumped down is if BYU, I, I don't know. Added since, Alabama? <laughs> added Alabama. <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at w- other weeks. Week two, like Virginia Tech, Iowa State, that could be interesting. I don't know if they're better in Boise State, but they're on par. West Virginia, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, week three. Cincinnati is a really good program right now, week four. Miami's not better in Boise State, but it's a name. Um, and, and there's some options out there. It, I want BYU to add Power Fives to the schedule. Right now there's only one. I would love to see two or three more if BYU is going to play 12. But I don't, ex- I don't know what I expect. I expect just chaos with this. I expect less than 12, I guess. I do expect. Uh, Boise State is likely to be the toughest opponent on schedule. And what's interesting about this is, yeah, Boise State, even if BYU does add a few Power Fives, is still in position to probably be the best team that BYU plays. So, yes, if they're the toughest game on the schedule, I'm totally okay with that. And I'm especially okay with the idea that BYU wouldn't lose their Mountain West Conference games. I hope, oh, I hope that the Mountain West does not go conference only because there are another three games for BYU that you could kiss goodbye. That'd be tough. Not only that, you lose two regional rivalries and another rivalry in San Diego State. Those are fun games. Those are quality group of five games. One actual rival in Utah State. Yeah. One regional rival in Boise State. And then San Diego State's. They, they hate BYU. Yeah. Well, I, a lot of teams do. Based on a turbulent past. Who, who likes BYU from the Mountain West? Is there anyone that's Air like. Air Force. Is there anyone that's like, <laughs> we love those guys. They're great. Like, does Air anyone Force. love BYU? Air Force liked BYU, at least the coaching staffs, when Bronco Mendenhall was here. But I don't know if that has changed since. Like Fisher DeBerry liked BYU or something? Troy Calhoun, yeah, the mutual yeah. respect, military academy. Well, Troy Calhoun's like, we should probably not be in the Mountain West anymore. He said that a couple years ago. Yes, what? I'd totally be okay if Boise State were the best team on BYU's schedule. Yep. Again, because that means Mountain West games are still happening. And I, I like the budding rivalry that exists between BYU and Boise. And, I mean, they're a top 20 caliber team. So there are only 19 teams out there that – realistically, would be a tougher opponent than Boise. I believe Boise State will be the best group of five team. They play seven home games. This is before, you know, crap hit the fan with those two announcements a little bit. I'd have to look at it and break it down a little more. But I, I thought Boise State was in position to be the best group of five. And, and that's saying a lot because that team is typically kind of top 15, top 20. Hey, SEC Big 12 lead the way, baby. Lead the way. And we shall follow. Topic two. Yesterday, West Coast Conference Commish Gloria Navarro has addressed a variety of topics on the show. One of them was about a potentially delayed or conference-only men's basketball season. Here's Gloria. Even if we delayed start basketball, we could still have a very robust season if we either compacted it or, you know, um, reduced a couple of weeks here and there. So right now, we're 
in that same uh, decision-making matrix as we were with fall sports about three, four months ago. So time is on our side and all options are on the table. Spencer, are you okay with playing a potentially delayed or modified men's basketball season? One million percent, yes. Whatever is going to allow BYU to pursue an NCAA tournament after the heartbreak of not being able to go to the big dance last season, yes. So if it's mid-December, if it's mid-January, whatever, I don't care. Just she said the words. You can still play a robust schedule even if you delay it. And with an indoor with indoor facilities, things are going to get tricky trying to figure out if fans are going to be involved or whatever. Let's get some outdoor basketball stadiums. Let's go. Hey, they I played on an aircraft carrier. I covered an outdoor NBA preseason basketball game at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden uh, between the Suns and the Mavericks. I've always it's, wanted to see a basketball game at a tennis garden. It's, it's it can list. happen. You can do it. Uh, but yeah, I'm okay with this. Just just make it happen. That's how I feel about college football right now. Just make it happen. However, if you tell me that no fans can go, but the games still happen. Great. Oh, fans are the least of my concern in this whole process. Just make it happen. It's whether you can play the games or not. If we can get fans in there, that's great because, one, it's great for the fans, obviously. But, two, uh, you know, you can get a little bit of extra money from that, money that you kind of bank on. Energy for an actual home court. That's all besides the point, though. The point is, are we going to play, period? Yes. Um, yeah. It, listen, Major League Baseball is going to start tomorrow night. My Mariners are going to start another losing campaign Friday night. Um, the NBA is coming back next week. Um, you know, some a uh, couple of exhibitions coming up before that. I don't care that there's no fans. I don't care because I'm able to watch it on TV. The people, the mindset that you care more about the f- people in the stands more than the TV viewership is extremely myopic. If someone has that, because there's always going to be more people watching on TV than there are in the stands. Make it That's happen. the case for every soccer game we do on BYU TV, every volleyball game, every softball game, every base. Da, 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 it goes on and on. Every game period we do on every BYU TV. Every game period, right? And that's not even like ESPN TNT where you're catering to a national audience as opposed to the BYU audience and its opponent. I would totally be okay, like you, with a men's basketball season that is delayed or modified because I would like to see this group have a chance to do something. I, I'm hoping it's not like a 12-game season. We, we don't know with hoops. I would be totally fine if they're like, you know what, we're going January to May. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Because if we can do that, that works. College football is a little different. They don't have as much of a uh, you know, wiggle room in the fall because of weather, because it's outside. Indoors, you can literally play whenever, but you don't want to affect too much of – the NBA draft and, uh, you know, like May Madness, that totally work. We're all, we'll all be there for it. I'm thinking that life isn't like back to normal for a year. It feels like that's totally uneducated opinion, which is most of what I bring to the show <laughs> anyway. But I would hope that a modified or delayed option could be something that is successful for the NCA And this group that Mark Pope has put together, it'd be really nice to see them play together and have a chance to do something. You've gotten a couple grad transfers in Matt Harms and Brandon Averett who aren't here to wait another year. It's transfer nation, baby. <laughs> the, the transfer nation is happening. We need BYU to have a shot at this. We need, we need to, I'm not a huge fan of college hoops, generally speaking, until March, but uh, it'd be nice for BYU and the WCC, which is what I pay attention to, to have a, a shot at this earlier. I, I would love to see that. BYU was so exciting last year that it made you a college basketball fan before March. How about it, that? It did? It took something special. Yeah. I don't remember that. What happened? 
BYU beat Gonzaga at home in February, so I know you were a fan at least in February. What are you talking about? I just said BYU and the WCC is what I pay attention to. I mean the other parts of college basketball. Okay. If Duke beats North Carolina in January, it has nothing to do with anything. Agreed. It's like, oh, now they're one seed line less maybe <laughs> in a month and a half. Like, it's no, it's fun. It's whatever. You know, no, it's listen, when you and I have to pay attention to BYU tennis and softball and everything, there's only so much space in here for me to for me to be like, dude, did Monmouth win yesterday? (laughs) I don't I don't know. Just keep up on the Andy Katz blog, the Jeff Goodman blog. Who's the team to beat out of the Sun Belt? That's what Twitter's for. (laughs) Brings it to me. Yes. uh, A robust schedule. What qualifies as a robust schedule? 20 plus games? 25? Yeah, around there. Something like that between 20 and 25? 31 right now. Let's play all 31 if we can. I'm going to be greedy right now. Let's, I want, until you tell me we can't, I want all of it. This is the nature of a person in 2020, an American in 2020. I want it all, and greedy. I want it now. I want it all. <laughs> I don't need one flavor in my soda. I need five. I want it now. Yeah. Our question of the day, back to football. Would you be okay with Boise State being the toughest game on this year's BYU schedule? That includes additions or not adding anything else. Time to hear from you, BYU. So let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At DB underscore Nelson 22 answers on Instagram. Considering the situation this year, situation is one word for it, if Boise State is the toughest opponent and we have a full season, I'm good with that. What is a full season, though? I, I would like to make an argument. Boise State was the toughest team last year. 12-2. and 12-2, and two, ranked 14th at the time, finished in the top 25. They were the toughest team. Now, we remember USC perhaps more fondly because it's USC and it's not Boise State. There's certain, like, street cred associated with that. I mean, Utah was up there, too, right? Oh, oh sorry. No, you're right. Inter- uh, best win, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Okay. Best win. Toughest opponent was undoubtedly Utah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have just put that out of my mind because it was so painful, <laughs> apparently. I did that with the 2011 game. Well, there they, was a while there where I, the schedule, so. where I Oh, that's right. Well, and they came off the schedule for Florida later, so. <laughs> Should we even play Utah ever again? We'll discuss. Okay, as Jerem just mentioned, COVID-19 is now making an impact for head football coaches. Toledo coach Jason Candle testing positive. He's out for a couple of weeks. Jerem, what if this happens in the season? What if? What do you mean? When it happens? There will be head coaches. A head coach gets COVID-19, has to quarantine for a couple of weeks, and if this happened at BYU, what would the depth chart look like? Kalani, you got to quarantine for two weeks? Uh, you can coach from your hospital bed, a la the Liberty situation Ho- last Hopefully year, it's not a hospital bed. Hopefully it's just home. I kid. Right? Uh, but there, what, what, what there is a person be? who has a title of assistant head coach on the team. His okay. name is Ed Lamb. Hmm. I think that Ed Lamb would lead the way. Um, and then the coordinators, right? Grimes or Tuiaki. I think that's pretty uh, simple. But my question here is, aren't these guys going to interact, right? Aren't these guys going to interact? Because if you're exposed to someone, for a certain period of time, you are supposed to quarantine as well. So are these guys making sure they don't get that close to each other? Are we cool if we all wear a mask and we stay six feet apart? Are you good not to quarantine if someone gets a positive test? Like, what's the societal standard right now? Because uh, that's inevitably going to happen. 
The athletes aren't the one that concern me per se, although we're concerned about all of them. It's the older coaches. Granted, BYU doesn't have a really old coach, but there are staffs around the country in college football, the NFL and otherwise, that have older coaches that we're told are more at risk for a serious issue with COVID. They're the ones we need to be thinking about. So the, uh, the preparation and the uh, isolation and, of course, mask and whatnot and maybe plexiglass and certain whatever, that's what we need to be thinking about, I think, is the coaching staffs and, frankly, administrators, right? Yes, and you're right about Ed Lamb. He's the assistant head coach and was a head coach before. So is he the only one that's been a head coach in FBS or FCS on the staff? I believe yes. that's the case. Yes. So Ed, Ed's the guy. Um, if I were to pick a wild card, I'd throw Fessy Satake out there. I like that he's working. Nepotism? Huh? Well, <laughs> not so much for me. Because his last name's Satake, so they just say Coach Satake. Well, mostly because he's hit a hole-in-one that was uh, officialized by the New York Times and because he sings Let It Wall Go. Wall Street Journal. Uh, yeah. Wall Street Journal, that's yeah. right. So, uh, yeah, I like, I like Fessy. And because I, he sings Let It Go? Yeah. These are the criteria let's go, let's you're using? Let's go. For my backup, yeah. <laughs> you know, the assistant head coach, that, that, you know, that's, that's important. But, and here's the other thing that I was – kind of uh, thinking about as I was driving into work today, they're all competitors, these coaches. At what point, and you're kidding yourself, so you don't think a coach might be sick but understands the ramifications of potentially shutting down his program for two weeks? So at what point do you say, I'm going to keep this close to the vest and I'm not going to – one, I'm not gonna, I don't want to get tested because I don't want to know. Right. I'll stay away because I'm sick, but I'm not going to get tested because I don't want everything to shut down. That you are completely right, and that is completely irresponsible. I know, because but you're kidding yourself. You don't think that that's going to happen in multiple locker rooms. I think, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, generally speaking, we've seen someone who tries to fight through an illness as somehow uh, tough or brave or whatever. Now I would say that's reckless, right? In a pandemic, if you show up at work with symptoms, you are reckless. Is it reckless if you stay home in quarantine but don't say anything so you don't have to shut the program down? Yes, because you may have spread it and people need to know. That would, In my opinion, that would be reckless. It's, it's, there, we're going to have a ton of reckless behavior. I'm telling you, that will happen. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you're affecting other people. You need to not be selfish. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. It is Major League Baseball season opening day. Jerem's repping the Mariners. I'm repping the Orioles. And right now, we're all repping because Cody Feger, BYU basketball men's assistant coach, is joining us on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline, of course, repping the Y. Cody, great to have you back on the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Is that still the Zach Selyus virtual background? It Always. is. It is. Yeah, there he is. Okay. Always. <laughs> he's uh, he's going to be having a baby here very soon. So wow. yeah, yeah. That's a, he's got the he's got the bleach uh, you know hair going on as well. Oh, he Facial actually hair. did a transformation. Um, he went from White Goodman from Dodgeball, and now he turns into James Harden. So he's just got this <laughs> big beard right now. And, like almost shaved head. It's amazing what two months can do to him. And it's amazing what post BYU uh, does to people, right? It's like, oh, facial hair. Yeah. yeah. Long hair. Exactly. It's awesome. yeah. 
Cody, uh, first and foremost, how is practice going and moving along with uh, the implementation of you actually being able to work with players now? Oh, it's been great. It's been great. The guys have been July 20th, first day we started on Monday. The guys have been coming in, working hard, working a ton of defensive footwork right now. And we're also working finishes at the rim, kind of our offensive schemes uh, with like three-on-three groups. And uh, we're going to actually put in some defensive shell today. Uh, but, it, but it's been really good. Like you said, we got a lot of new guys. So we're, we're starting slow. Is everyone in? Everyone is in. Everyone's here, ready to go. It, it's, been, it's been awesome. It, We've got a good group, good group of kids. What's the process like, uh, obviously, with COVID of getting, gathering these guys and the process you do every day to make sure these guys are safe? Because obviously that's at the forefront, but also you want to be practicing when you have a season. If it's delayed or modified, that you're ready when it happens, whenever it happens. Yeah, I mean, we get certain times of the day where we can get in the gym right now because they're, they're uh, splitting up between men and women right now. Um, and... Uh, they have to come in wearing a mask. They're getting checked every single day. Every time they come in, they're getting a wristband um, by Rob Ramos. He, he's checking everybody every day. Um, like we, they can't congregate in our offices or in the locker room or any any other parts of the facilities. So it's like come in, get your lift in, get your workout in, and then you gotta gotta take off. Um, but like coaches, like us, while while we're doing our workouts, we're wearing masks during it um i know in the nba a lot of those guys are wearing masks and the gloves but we're, we just have masks on right now so it, it's been good the guys are working hard it's sometimes hard to hear with our masks on um but but we're figuring it out cody Feger, byu basketball assistant coach with the sun byu sports nation speaking of hard work and uh tweeting about it gavin baxter sent out a tweet the other day saying you get into your car after four hours of basketball, your legs are numb, you squirt some uh, hand sanitizer that's you know super hot under your hands, and you feel all the scrapes burn with the alcohol. Uh, wh- what did you think of Gavin Baxter's explanation of uh, what this is like uh, playing basketball at BYU amidst the COVID pandemic? That's, that's just Gavin, right? I mean, he's just going <laughs> to say something kind of ridiculous all the time, you know. Yeah, that that's him. I mean, he's hilarious, he, but he comes in and he works really hard and he loves to shoot afterwards and work on different nuances of his game. But, but that's just Gavin. I mean, I expect nothing less from him. He's a creative one. I love it. Uh, last <laughs> summer we were talking about a labrum with Gavin and here we are now with Wyatt Lowell last week. So I guess uh, what happened and he mentioned he's going to have surgery and uh, what's the, what's the timeline of expectation for a return for Wyatt Lowell? So the guys were playing pickup. Um, this was last week. I want to say Wednesday or Thursday, I think. And like it was like the first or second play, I guess. Um, and then just Wyatt went running to the training room. I think it happened on some type of a rebound. Wyatt went went uh, running to the training room, and um, um, Rob got it checked out right away. And he had a doctor's appointment the next day. And so we found out, you know, as soon as the doctor called Rob. Um, after that MRI, MRI imaging, um, but why, has got good spirits about it. Um, you know, it's a little minor setback for a major comeback for him. You know, he, he's going to be working hard when he comes back and, you know, he, all the guys have been texting him and, um, you know, he had the surgery yesterday. So he, he's, 
things things are getting better for him already. And how did the surgery go? Uh, just from those initial reports. Yeah, no, everything went well. Um, uh, I, I don't know how many anchors they put in there, but you know, it, it went well. He, he's feeling good. His his mom and dad have, have all been hitting us up also. Um, but Wyatt texted me, you know, two hours after the surgery, saying everything went good and he's he's feeling good. And this morning he already hit me back too. So we want you to play a doctor on TV, I guess. But uh, is the is the timeline for that five to seven months or something? What's generally the timeline? I mean, Gavin got his in, I think, is early October, mm. and he was out until January. I want to say so, like four months. Um, maybe. And so I'm, I'm guessing about four months. And I've, you know, I wasn't the guy really paying attention in a lot of my classes, for that <laughs> stuff, the, the injuries and things like that. Yeah, but I, I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing around no, you know, late November, early December, he can start working back in with the team. That, that would be my guess. And hopefully, we play on time, right? Or a little earlier, and then take a. I, we don't know, right? Um, there's talks of yeah. you know, you start in January and you go into April or May or something. So we were just talking about, hey, maybe some kind of uh, you know, if there is a delay, that would benefit a guy like Wyatt Lowell and his recovery. But who knows when we're going to play? What What are you hearing? What's the conversation like as you try and navigate preparation for a season that? You don't know when it's going to start. Everyone's talking about football. No one's really talking about basketball, but we're talking about basketball. <laughs> no, for us, we're just going like we're we're going to start up our real practices on September, I think, 28th uh, before our first game. I think that's the 30 days or whatever before our first game. We're just planning on going that way. You know, we're not thinking twice unless until they tell us that we're pushed back or it's changing, things like that. We're, we're going full speed ahead like we're, we're playing – um, yeah, nothing's slowing us down that way right now. And, and our guys are, the guys are living in this gym. So it's been pretty cool. Cody with how things are, uh, COVID pandemic still here. It's clearly has slowed down scheduling. Uh, so at what point are you hoping to have an official non-conference schedule revealed so that you can try and work towards that specific date or those specific dates? I'm guessing by mid August, we should have something something out or um, August 20th around that time that we'll have something out with the schedule. Um, it just, it just takes time and everyone's trying to figure it out. And I don't know what's going to happen with these buy games. It's all just up in the air. I mean, we're just trying to stay as fluid as we can and keep our guys, uh, you know, engaged and excited about it. As long as they don't ruin your trip to the Bahamas, you're good, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm excited about that trip. And I assume it's still on despite COVID. You'll just navigate that as you as yeah, you can, I guess. Yeah, we'll navigate that. And I, I mean, I wonder what they're going to do with the Maui Invitational too this year. You know, I wonder if teams right. are going to go over there or if they're going to do something on the West Coast. There's so many things in the air. It's 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 going to be fun. It's going to be fun to figure this thing out. Has it been? Even with, go ahead. Sorry, even with Wyatt going down and schedule changing, our job's still to win games here. You know, so. You know, even with Yoli being out, all uh, our job is still to win games and figure it out and no excuses. In terms of this new group um, and the philosophy around it, you talked about how you guys are developing that right now. How is that going uh, in terms of, okay, what kind of offense do we run with this group? Because we, are, we do have more front court uh, ability. It's a different dynamic, right? Uh, defensively, what you're putting in. How, how far into the development of that with this personnel are you? Yeah, and, and so far we are not even in that part 
we're, we're doing a lot of the same stuff right now offensively, you know, post-feed splits, uh, kind of our ball screen motion, um, just kind of like Matt Harms, he's learning to roll way better, way different um, than what, you know, the, the specific way we teach it. So we're just kind of teaching, you know, ball screens, how we do it. And then um, defensively right now, we haven't even, even talked about ball screen defense. Uh, we're just talking about, you know, early shell and, and uh, two on two stuff, just where to be all the time. So does that mean you kind of want to see these guys in person a little more before you figure out what works best, or do you want to put in what you've been doing with this group already? No, we'll start putting, we have a good idea. Like as a staff, we've met, we've met, you know, ton, obviously uh, about what we're going to kind of implement. So we're, we're kind of ready. Um, we just haven't, haven't put it in yet. Cause we're just starting slow with just footwork, just, closeouts, how to do a closeout, how to, you know, attack penetration with verticality, uh, talking about anticipation, um, talking about catch two, being there on the catch and then catch the move. So we're, we're just starting all really small stuff. And then we're going to add, you know, ball screen defense here soon. And, and uh, yeah, we haven't talked about any five on five. It's mostly been three on three, just kind of our little, little actions out of that. Cody, heaven forbid that uh, no fans uh, are, or I should say, heaven forbid that fans aren't allowed to attend games. But in that instance, I'm just excited to hear uh, what you guys have to say. You're going to be the volume <laughs> in the building potentially. It's going to be too loud. I know. I know. It's going to be. It's going to be interesting. Maybe we'll have just a, a bunch of virtual Spencer and Jerems in the crowd. Just every <laughs> single one of you guys just switched off. What a nightmare. That, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Cody, great to talk to you, man. Uh, stay healthy and safe. We're excited about BYU basketball. You guys, too. Appreciate you guys. You got it. Cody Figure Cody. on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show up. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Bring on the best to wear it. We're counting up to 99, one number each show. Today we hit number 54. Who was the best to ever wear number 54 BYU? Tressa Spalding Hampson. This is the mother of Jennifer and Sarah uh, from 83 to 87. She was amazing. Averaged 23 a game for her career. 2,300 points. Third in BYU history in points. Second in scoring average. Second in rebounds. Third in rebounds per game. First in blocks over her daughters, but although her daughters are two and three, which is pretty cool. She had a 50-point game in 87. 50. Led the nation in scoring almost 30 a game in 86-87. Well-deserved. One of the first families of BYU sports, the Hampsons. Today we go two numbers. We go double nickel, 55, and 56. Who's 55, dude? One of my favorite BYU basketball players of all time, and for a very short time, one of my favorite jazz players. Talking about... The man, Rafael Araujo. Yes, 2002 through 2004. 15 points per game, 10 rebounds, 57% field goal percentage. The guy, honestly, one of the, if not the most physical BYU basketball player we have ever seen. This is a guy that in 2004 was the Mountain West Conference Cold Player of the Year. First team, all Mountain West Conference. He was the uh, Mountain West Conference Newcomer of the Year in 2003. He was drafted eighth overall in the 24, the 2004 uh, NBA draft by the Toronto Raptors. Had a three-year NBA career, played with the Jazz for a season. I will never forget former head coach Jerry Sloan talking about Hoffa. 
He said he is the second hardest working player I have ever seen behind Carl Malone. That is there high praise from one Jerry Sloan. Went on to uh, play professionally in Brazil, of course, with the Brazilian national team. I only saw Hoffa play one game, then I went on my mission to Brazil. So I kind of missed But was it a great game? It was a great game, wasn't it? I don't really remember. Uh, number 56, Tijon Karoma, the four-year starter at center, only missed one game his entire career. He started every game he played in from 2014 to uh, 2017. Uh, Second-team All-American by Pro Football Focus in 2017. Played two years professionally. He played in the offseason with the Chiefs, tore his ACL during camp, ended up being uh, in the XFL with the Houston Roughnecks for uh, that, that first season, or at least you know last year was hoping to be in the mix this year before the season was canceled. And I think he still has professional football in his career left. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully see that, if not this fall, next year, perhaps if the XFL somehow comes back or somewhere else. I also think he recently got engaged. Oh, Either engaged or married. Oh, that's That's great. what BYU TMZ told me. The best to wear, number 57, is Robert and I. That's a complete miscalculation of what happened. No, it isn't. <laughs> Robert and I played uh, offensive line for BYU, 80-84. to BYU, I, I just heard this, I just learned this, was really, really good during that period. Uh, he switched from center to offensive guard. Oh, yeah. 1984, all-wax second team, played in the Hula Bowl, part of the 84 National Championship team as well. Third-round pick in the USFL draft by the New Jersey Generals. Uh, notable coaching Stops, Hawaii, Ricks. I'm wearing a Ricks shirt today. Man. There we go. Boise State, UNLV, Texas Tech, Arizona. Uh, Brigham, not once but twice, where he once called us thing one and thing two. Now he's at Virginia, where he is the offensive coordinator. Robert and I, the best to wear, 57. Who was thing one and who was thing two? I can't remember. I would think that you are thing one. Oh, okay. Because you're the host and I'm the co-host. So I would call you thing one. That's a complete miscalculation that's a compl- of what happened. I can't remember the question we asked, but he said that's a complete miscalculation of what happened. And we were like, And by the what? way, it, it wasn't, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the best to wear number 58. How good have the 50s been? This, is, this has been so much fun. Yeah. Chris Hulk, our guy who uh, we spoke with uh, before the Toledo game. Yes. Uh, and that season. Chris was my first interview on air with BYU TV when I was a sophomore in 2006. From 97 to 2000, big number 58 accounted for 38 tackles for loss, 13 sacks, seven quarterback hurries, all Mountain West Conference second team. But more importantly, Jerem, he made his name in the NFL as a Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He made it as an undrafted free agent, spent 11 years in the Steel Town, and won two Super Bowl rings. Mm. He's now working with the Steelers. As a post-game analyst, Chris Hoke is no joke. If it was one Super Bowl, I would have been happier. Today, two athletes to discuss at numbers 59 and 60 as the best to wear those numbers at BYU. And there's some rivalry controversy here starting with 59. Number 59, Kyle Whittingham. Oh! Kyle Whittingham was the best to wear number 59, so we're told... He was a good linebacker, two-time All-League, uh, you know, 80 and 81, WAC Co-Player of the Year in 81. Oh, uh, he looks good in blue and white. Inducted to the Holiday Bowl Hall of Fame in 2009 after playing in the first four and uh, took over Utah. He's been a tremendous head coach at Utah, one of the most tenured college head, head coaches right now. At number 60, how about Big Terrence Brown? Played 2005 and then 2008 to 2011 after his two-year mission trip. 50 career games starting 
39 games from his sophomore to senior seasons. That's tough to do as an offensive lineman. It's a lot, yeah. We talked about Tijon Karoma every game. I mean, that, that's those are really impressive numbers. 2009 College Football News Sophomore Honorable Mention. Uh, Remington Trophy Watch List. Speaking of college football awards in 2011 and got into the league as an undrafted free agent in 2012 by the Miami Dolphins, who Mitch Matthews also played for. Caught a preseason touchdown with. The kid back in the air. <laughs> Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Okay, Jerem, now uh, we're going to call an audible here because we're talking uh, Madden football. Yeah. And a Madden football edition of Too High, Too Low, or Just Right. Brought to you by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. We gave you a few of those Madden ratings early in the show. Let's revisit them right now. Jerem, Too High, Too Low, or Just Right for Taysom Hill, who is a 64 overall. Feels low given his value to the Saints and what he does and how much people talk about him. His popularity. I think, yeah, 64 feels weird. Granted, he's pretty unproven overall. um, But how does he have speed, agility, throw power, and catching all 78 and above? But is he just like rated as a bad blocker? (laughs) They're not rating him as a quarterback, right? Or are they? Because, well, how would you rate him? 64 feels low regardless of where you put him. I would put him in the 70s. Yeah, low 70s. Yeah. He's not, he's not an 80s-plus guy yet. He needs more run at, like, one position. He, but he's the most player, uh, most unique player in Madden ever to rate, right? How do you rate him? What position? How are you? It's all gauged on what position you play. So if you're a receiver, it's like catching ability, blocking, jumping, speed, da-da-da. Running back, similar but different. Yeah. He needs to be higher. Here's my question. What has Taysom Hill done in a game that people have been able to watch that makes you think – He's only a 64. I, I want someone well, to explain it. It's the other way. What has he done to prove he's a whatever? That's from their perspective. That's what sure. They would say, right? Every time he, I don't know, every time he's in the game, there, it feels like there's a Taysom Hill highlight every week in the NFL, whether it be blocking a punt or blocking a kick yeah. or returning a kick or throwing a touchdown or running for a touchdown or catching a touchdown. So, Do they want consistency or something? Maybe. From a certain position? Is his awareness low? Yeah. Is his awareness against the zone defense low? <laughs> hey, oh, by the way, so too high, uh, too low, or just right. Taysom Hill's MVP odds on ESPN are listed at uh, 1 in 260. <laughs> He's listed at least. They, they I'm, listed I'm every, okay with that. They listed every quarterback. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I'm okay with that. That's probably, just right that's with that, just Taysom right. Hill, sure. But I think his overall rating in Madden should be higher. Okay, next one. Fred Warner, the highest rated Cougar, 87. Too high, too low, or just right? I think that is right on par. I think Fred Warner deserves that. He has proved that he is the leader in that linebacker core for a team that played in the Super Bowl. He had an interception in the Super Bowl. He rises to the occasion. Fred Warner playing his best football in the brightest spotlight. I think 87 is a fair rating for Federico Warner. Awareness 97. How about that? Yeah, I, I think it's spot on. 87's fantastic. If you would have told me when Fred was at BYU, he'll get an 87 in Madden one day. I'd go, oh, that's unbelievable. That's great. 
anybody that can get an 87 at some point. And we'll talk about a few that weren't listed at all, where it was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. They weren't even listed? Um, 87's fantastic. So congrats to Fred. Okay. Now, Fred Warner's, uh, one of his idols at BYU was Kyle Van Noy, who is now playing for the Miami Dolphins. He's listed one point lower than Fred Warner, Jerem. He's won two Super Bowls. 86, too high, too low, or just right for Kyle Van Noy. I think that's spot on as well. Uh, Kyle had a tremendous impact with the Patriots. Um, he's getting a ton of respect. Uh, here's 97 awareness as well. 98 play recognition. Look at that. 98. His ability to just read a situation, albeit frustrating to his coaches at times at BYU. I know Kelly Papinga was like, what is he? Interception. Right? Where is he? Sack. Fumble recovery. You know, <laughs> he would play recognition. Yeah, is what he's all about. He makes plays that win games. He's just a gamer. And that's well. Best, this, is, this is a video game. That's, so that's the best word I can think of it. I think. I mean, Kyle's on par with Fred, so I'd like to see him have the same score. But whatever. I mean, we're splitting hairs now if we're complaining about an 87 and an 86. Uh, I think they're both deserving of being in the upper 80s. I think that's very fair. And uh, it also takes us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU has two players representing the Y as former Cougars on in the new Madden within the top five of their position group. Kyle Van Noy and Fred Warner at outside linebacker and middle linebacker. That's fantastic. And uh, BYU's produced some really good defensive players recently. And uh, thanks to Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams, some good offensive players as well, which is good. Okay, next one, Jamal Williams uh, with the Packers. 78 overall. Too high, too low, or just right? I think that's just right. Uh, I wish Jamal would have more of an opportunity to do some things. He's the number two for the Packers to, what, Aaron Jones? And I thought he was emerging as that in the 2018 season when he was given extra carries and he had that game where he ran for 160-plus and two touchdowns and was like, whoa, Jay Swag getting it in the NFL. 78, I think, is fair. I, I am interested to see how the Packers use him uh, and if this is indeed his last year with Green Bay, like if he's going to move somewhere else. The contract year, 96 carrying, what does that mean? He doesn't fumble? Is that what yeah, it means? Yeah, and that goes and back he, to his college days. He fumbled, what, once, I think, at BYU, maybe twice. Um, that's incredible. Yeah, I'd, spot on. He's got a little bit of work to do to climb 80-plus, uh, but uh, Jamal in the NFL is – He's a running back. He's in the NFL. And frankly, that's enough for me, given BYU's lack of history with that position in the NFL, especially recently. So we're super proud of Jamal and what he's doing. Hang in there. Maybe get more of an opportunity to be ready. Super reliable, though. He's there. Like, if the Packers need him, he's, he's going to block. He's going to catch. He's going to do his thing. All right. On to Dirty Daniel Sorensen. Dirty Dan, Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champ. 71 overall, an 88 acceleration, 93 agility. I think they're looking at his pro day numbers. Yeah, pro day. Um, and they're putting this together. Too high, too low, too right. Uh, too low. I think Daniel Sorensen should be a little bit higher. I think he's probably mid to high 70s is where I would put him uh, as a Super Bowl champ and a, and a starter on uh, Starts the Kansas City the Chiefs. Starts for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he makes plays. Yes, his plays in the playoffs – that alone makes him deserve more than a 71. Yeah, he's not as like he's not as strong as of a cover kind of guy, like in a nickel situation, depending on who like with a speedster, but that's not his his role is to play safety, right? He's I think he's a good safety. All right, speaking okay, of next secondary up, players. Michael Davis, 73 overall. Too high, too low, just right. I see, I think that is just right. But that makes me take even more issue with Daniel Sorensen being at 71. I like Michael Davis. He's 
super fast and has like ascended to his starting role with the Los Angeles Chargers of San Diego. 92 speed, by the way. Woo! 92 speed. He's the fastest BYU player in the NFL. Only, according, according to men. Only two points higher than Taysom Hill at 90. Okay, so Michael but two's Davis, big when it's 90 to 92. Yeah. As a 73? Yeah, I think that's fair. I just I think Daniel Sorensen deserves better than that. Yeah, I think Michael Davis is... I think that's accurate. Yeah, he's a he's a guy that contributes at a high level for the Chargers. And uh, the fact that he's been an undrafted guy that has stuck is pretty impressive. Okay, we move on. Let's stay on the defensive side of the ball. Sione Takitaki of the Cleveland Browns entering year number two after being a third-round draft pick. 68 overall. It's uh, it's just right. He does, hasn't done anything to prove otherwise quite yet, right? If you haven't done much, you should be in the 60s. And Sione, as a rookie, uh, was a backup, didn't play a ton. I would love to see him get uh, more opportunity and then have him climb into the 70s. We haven't really seen Sione Takitaki play. So, yes, 68 feels right. I think he is going to be a better player than that, but he hasn't had the opportunity to yeah. show otherwise. The hope is that he's high 70s later, right, in a couple years. Okay. That's the hope. Uh, Bronson Kafusti, 66. See, again, this is another one that, because we haven't seen a ton of Bronson Kafusi, like Sione, third-round draft pick, been in the league a couple of years, a few years longer than uh, Sione. It feels fair. Like, we need to see more of yeah. these players before they have the opportunity to earn a that, better number. And that's twofold. One is maybe they haven't been good enough to earn that playing time, or, uh, you know, the opportunity hasn't been right or the fit hasn't been right with the team. It kind of just depends. But I'm not quick to either blame the team or the guy, but let's keep in mind that the guy has to earn playing time too. Okay, and then Harvey Longy has a 68 overall same, as well. Same idea. Yeah, just a little get more PT. They're with the Jets. Bronson, Harvey, and Corbin, they should just they should just create a band. They should just be in a band together. It's a three-man band. It's it's Polynesian. It's amazing. It's funny. It's Nacho Libre <laughs> stuff. You know, that's what I want. The elders of Hoboken <laughs> or whatever, or New Jersey, wherever yeah. they train. I, want, I think the Jets facility is in New Jersey. Ziggy wasn't rated. Why was Ziggy not rated? He played a bunch of games for the Seahawks last year. There, a few years ago, he had 17 sacks. Corbin Kafusi, Don Gawoluku, Tyson Williams not rated. They, right. they are, those two are rookies. Corbin didn't play last year. So. Can I throw my beef about Taysom Hill being a 64 in here again? Harvey Longy, Bronson Kafusi, and Sione Takitaki have higher ratings overall. That's weird. Than Taysom Hill. Yeah. Okay, so where should Taysom be then? 77? He should be closer to like Michael Davis and Daniel Sorensen. Like at least in yeah. the low 70s. He's lower than he should, those guys? He should be like 77. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Here is today's full slate of BYU Sports Nation headlines. Senior defensive tackle Kairos Tonga has been named to the Outland Trophy and Nagurski Trophy watch list for best interior lineman and best defensive player. And junior center James Empey, let's call him Jim, who's a junior, has also been named to the Outland Trophy watch list. Remember, BYU has two Outland Trophy winners in Jason Buck and Mo Elowini. Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, says he wants to start the season later but still play 8-10 to 10 football games. Due to the Big Ten and Pac-12 decision to play conference-only games, Notre Dame, like BYU, lost a good deal of stuff 
USC, Stanford, and Wisconsin, specifically for the Fighting Irish Conferences, are reportedly supposed to have an outline of what their schedules will look like by the end of the month. Then there are these comments out of the Big 12 from the athletic director at Texas, who says this morning, we're planning on starting football September 5th against South Florida. We're planning to play a 12-game schedule as of today. I also heard 50,000 fans in the stands floated out there. Uh, what? Then there is this reporter who follows Texas football and the Big 12, tweeting, and I think his name is Brian Davis. Yes. Continue to hear that the Big 12 athletic directors want a full 12-game schedule, but the plus-one model is on the table. Nine league plus one non-conference. Also, Texas-Oklahoma could be home and home for two years in a worst-case scenario. Interesting. Regarding Notre Dame, that feels like BYU and Notre Dame wouldn't happen if they're playing 8-10, although that's just one game. Maybe it will. And then Big 12, they want to play 12, which is interesting. So perhaps BYU could uh, line up something there, a Texas Tech or Texas A&M. Oklahoma State. Wait, if, Alabama, the SEC. if Alabama didn't work out. Or Missouri. Oh, wait, they're in the SEC and already yeah, on the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham urges both New Mexico and New Mexico State to postpone contact sports this fall, football and soccer namely. Not volleyball, which is interesting. High school sports have already been either delayed, postponed, or I'm, I'm not, I don't think they've been canceled. I'm not sure. But New Mexico, uh, the governor's asking to not play. New Mexico State certainly a last resort potentially for BYU if uh, it comes to an independent schedule only. I thought you and I thought that might be a game that BYU could play or games. A game so or two. <laughs> if the governor's asking not to play, like they don't have to do it, but that's a urging is a, a strong word for that. Yes. Is the California perspective leaking into the land of the enchanted? Yeah. Or the land of enchantment, President Bush. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Madden ratings are out. We talked about Taysom Hill's speed rating, one of the highest in the NFL of all quarterbacks. Overall, he's rated 64. Acceleration, 89. Agility, 85. So speed rating, 90, and then an 89, 85. He's only a 64 overall. This is interesting to me. Kyle Van Noy is rated 86 overall, one of the highest numbers from a former Cougar with awareness at 97. Fred Warner, Rated 87. Fred Warner is one point higher than Kyle Van Noy. And they notably remark on his uh, coverage skills at 73, 83 in zone coverage. It's incredible that they have gone to this type of detail. <laughs> like he's an 83 in this very specific nuance of the game. But it's mad. Wyatt Lowell of Men's Hoops announces on Instagram he's having surgery on a torn labrum from last week. His official return timetable is unknown. We will chat with Cody Figure as mentioned. Lowell redshirted last year after transferring from Utah Valley. The Cougars currently in official summer practices for four hours a week on the court and four in the weight room. The NCAA Board of Governors has announced they will meet tomorrow and again on August 4th to make further important decisions on the direction and outcome of fall sports. The NCAA Football Oversight Committee is asking the board to avoid making a decision too soon to give conferences and schools ample time to evaluate the viability of actually playing football this fall. But don't they need time to reschedule games, too? I think there's two sides. We're running out of time, two sides period. Of that coin. We're running out of time. NCAA President Mark Emmert said, quote, I get asked every day if college sports will return this fall. The consensus opinion among our health advisors is significant change must occur for that to happen, end quote. Toledo football head coach Jason Candle tests positive for COVID-19. He's the first known FBS coach to test positive and reveal it publicly. 
Toledo will not suspend its voluntary workouts despite uh, the coach being quarantined for the next 10 days. More on this topic and idea coming up in What's Trending. The NFL Players Association has announced there will be no preseason games. This means the first NFL action that fans will see takes place September 10th when the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, what's up, Shep, host the Houston Texans. The decision was based on the lack of an offseason and health-related concerns. I think this is... Wait, what happened? A brilliant decision. Okay, brilliant. Just You don't need to play preseason games. Even if COVID doesn't exist, you probably don't need to play many preseason games. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. 